Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Is this mic? Do you want to test the mic with me? or? I'm just going to put on the shield. I've never had to work in these conditions. <laughs> so much more complicated. I'm in a studio for the first time in nearly a year. COVID has changed so much about the way we work. I nearly touched my nose through the mask, through the shield. (laughs) This is awful. All the precautions are in place. I've got my mask and my face shield. So maybe take your mic and almost like try and put it almost underneath your shield. Yep. Producer Michelle Shepard is listening in by phone. And I'm going to take myself off mute for now so that if you need to talk to me, you're talking to me through Zencastr. From the first time that I heard about Mordecai, I wanted to meet him. Originally, it was because after a year of shitty online dates, my friend Aria had finally met somebody who made her happy. Now I want to meet him because, well, Aria obviously didn't stay happy. Things fell spectacularly apart when Aria found out that Mordecai Horowitz was actually Mark Ramsden that he had not only lied about his name, where he was from, what he did, and where he lived, he told versions of these lies to a number of other women. So now, after months of doing interviews about Mark, we needed to let him know that we were doing this podcast and give him a chance to respond. Do you think emailing him is the best way? I think it's better than cold calling. I got his email address from Aria. I think so too. I think we should give him a chance to know this is happening and to sort of absorb it a little bit. I just think it's more fair. Yeah. Michelle and I sent him a note. Not sure what to expect. Less than 20 minutes later, he wrote back. And a month after that... Come in. Well, here he was. Hey, Mark. Kathleen. We can't say hi. I have to admit, I'm a little taken aback. I mean, he looks so normal. He could be cast as the dad in a hardware store commercial... He also seems to have this air of defeat around him, but it's possible I'm projecting. His shoulders are slumped a little bit, his eyes are darting, and he's not really able to look me in the eye for very long. Hey, Mark, have a seat. Can I sit here? Yeah. I'm going to help you get all set up. Do I put this on? Yeah, put the headphones on. Okay, here we go. I'm Kathleen Goldhar. And this is Do You Know Mordecai? Chapter 5 That's a Good Question. Uh, okay, well, you okay? No, well, <laughs> yeah, I had to take a CBD candy before coming. Okay. I feel a little spun, so 
Bear with me. Well, let's go slow. Take your time. Okay, okay, thank you. You can stop and take a breath. Yeah. I know this isn't easy, and I really do appreciate you coming in. I appreciate it. I think we're both a bit nervous. So none of the women that I talked to really wanted me to sort of be blunt about who who they are they are and all that but i could start by telling you that i am friends with one of them obviously oh, really? uh there was a time when i wanted to sit down with you because i thought it was going to be a nice double date oh wow i guess aria never mentioned her journalist friend to mark or if she did he's forgotten about me i'm still kind of amazed he's sitting here i mean he knows i've talked to all of his exes and his exes have all talked to his other exes why would he want to speak to me it's a good question. Um, well, um, I can start by saying that it's the culmination of a lot of the fear that I've had for a long time because, you know, I've been living behind a, a, a mask, uh, it, for lack of a better word. And uh, while obviously I'm suffering from all sorts of things like mental illness, I haven't lost sight of the fact that it's wrong and that I feel badly about it. I can't I can't change the past, but I can um the only way that I can take responsibility for for my actions, things that I've done and said and um and address the mental illness that I suffer from and and all the things that have gotten me here is to to confront it head on. And I've tried doing that in bits and spurts for a long time. He seems really scattered. Like he wants to tell me everything in one go. I remind him we've got a lot of time, that I'll ask him questions, and he can answer one thing at a time. So he takes a deep breath, seems to center himself, and continues. Maybe I've hit an ultimate rock bottom, you know, as a lot of people suggest that sometimes you need to get to a place where there's just, you know, there's no way but up. I, I really... In short, I don't entirely know, except that I feel like I need to do this, and I hope it, it's... You know, for people that have been hurt from my actions, I don't know if this is helpful or not. I, I can't, but, you know, I, I don't know. You talk about mental illness. I'm curious to know if you've been diagnosed with something. Yeah, uh, I have. Uh, I've been diagnosed with uh, a few things. I've been diagnosed with um, um, depression, anxiety, uh, generalized anxiety disorder, Um I think it, I personally think it's more complicated than that, but that's what they told me I had ADHD. I haven't been formally diagnosed, but I have a lot of traits of borderline personality disorder. And um, that's probably where some of the less savory stuff originates from. I went to see mental health professionals a number of times, but um, only in recent times have I been able to be completely honest about everything. I couldn't really bring myself to even telling a a healthcare professional, the, the the depth of what's going on for me. Okay. So do you have a job now? Do you work? No, not right now. Mark told me that he gets his money from a government disability program and that he was currently living in a shelter. It's a full-service shelter. It's a, it's a pretty good spot for right now. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. D- would you say you have a profession? Uh... Good question. Um, I make a lot of art, but I would I, that's how I feel that I do or write and I make art. But no, I don't have a profession in the normal sense. That's okay. for sure. And I know you told a lot of the women that you're with that you were a screenwriter. Tell me about your screenwriting. I write, but I haven't uh, had anything published or produced, no. 
and stand-up comedy. I know there was a few that you mentioned right. you had done that. Yeah, I have done that. Uh, it's not been very successful. <laughs> okay. I want to know if Mark will admit to all the things the women have told me that he's done to them for years and why he lies so much. But before we go down that road, I want to know about his background. I mean, if you're going to try to figure somebody out, you got to ask about their mother. My mom's a nurse, or was a nurse. I, uh, you know, like a working-class family, but my dad was working in finance. Um, and um, so he was kind of social climber, I guess. I grew up in different places, but originally here in Toronto. I was born here. Um, in 1979, we moved to St. Louis, Missouri. It's in the United States, as you probably know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank <Sorry>. you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm nervous. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with Paris? <laughs> I am familiar with Paris. I believe that's in a country called France. Right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So we moved there. My dad worked for a company called Revlon. Um, I'm sure you know that one, too. Mm -hmm. um, but like a subsidiary of them. And then we moved to St. Louis. And that's actually when things got really difficult there with my parents. The, their marriage was on the rocks. And my mom um, was, uh, you know, becoming less and less uh, attentive to my sister and I. Most of the women that I've talked to have heard this same story. He spent a few years in the U.S. and Europe growing up, and his parents' marriage was strained. I reached out to Mark's dad, and he confirmed this. So this part of Mark's story is true. But I do know there were stories he told about his parents that are certainly untrue. One big lie was that his parents were Holocaust survivors. That's a total fabrication. He told others that his mother died by suicide. That's not true either. Is she alive? Yes, she is. She's alive. Yes. She's not a Disney animator, I'm guessing. No. When did you first start dating? Uh, good question. Uh, like my first kiss and all that sort of stuff happened in Paris. We're actually on a class trip to Switzerland, on a ski trip. Um, but girlfriend, uh, I, I kind of, my high school years were pretty down. I was pretty depressed and shy and just withdrawn. So I had like little things, encounters with girls. Uh, with um, with women or girls, I guess at the time we were teenagers, and then a friend of mine and I went to Mexico when I was seventeen. I had to get a permission from my mom, like to sign a waiver for us to go. And uh, I met a girl there, and it was short, but it was the first kind of girlfriend kind of situation. I asked Mark if he remembers when the lies started. You know, it was a gradual progression. I remember the first lies I remember telling were to cover up what was going on at home. You know, like I think I started to paint a narrative that we were a much happier family and um, things were good. What what was going on at home? I, I know you mentioned that there was tension, but right. I, so far I don't really hear anything terrible yet. So okay. so tell me a little bit about what was so tough. Okay. Um, here's the thing. Both of my parents, I know they love me, but they were neglectful, very neglectful. Um, we were fed and clothed and got to school, but 
all the in-between was pretty empty. And uh, she had been a, a loving and doting mother um, up until around the time we moved to to St. Louis. And then uh, that kind of just went out the door. And I remember feeling, you know, envious and of people that like who had seemingly better family life. So I remember, I don't remember saying an explicit lie, but I do remember doing a lot to make sure that everybody thought things were okay and that my family was fine. My mom, you know, I, I put emphasis on things that did happen. My mom, you know, made me a nice sandwich or whatever and forget that the night before my sister and I showed up at the table and the cutlery was, up, like, everything was upside down literally or she was passed out or whatever. Okay. Right. It's really strange to interview a serial liar. I can't be sure if I'm getting closer to the truth or if I'm getting caught up in another one of his fabrications. So tell me, in your best image of who you, who, who's Mordecai Horowitz? Like in your mind, tell me about who he is. He's not, he's not, he... I guess it's just a, a, a culmination of of, of, of a desire and a vivid imagination and an inability to, 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 to uh, be okay with myself. I'm not really satisfied with this answer. The Mordecai that Mark invented was so complex. He was a screenwriter, an artist. He lived on a compound in California. He had an ex-wife, a dead wife. And he told such involved stories about his famous friends— Judd Apatow and Seth Rogen. The trio were a gang, and they called each other by their Jewish names. Apparently, he once went on a camping trip with Seth Rogen where they shot rabbits. I'm curious about the name Mordecai. Okay. It's a strange name. Tell me about it. Well, I mean, I, I started conversion process around like 1994 to become Jewish. I didn't finish it. But uh, Mark is derived from the name uh, Mars which is the god of war or warrior, and Mordecai, one of the meanings is warrior, so I thought it would be the equivalent. Is he who you want to be? Good question. Um, not necessarily. I just don't want to be... I just wish... I've just, I'm intensely uncomfortable with myself um, and my upbringing and, and how it all went and... It's just an elaborate disguise, I guess. I don't, I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. What drew you to Judaism? Uh, good question. Good question. He says that a lot. Um, I've always been drawn to it. Like even as a kid, I'd been around it a lot. Friends and and actually, uh, one of my aunts uh, converted and married a Jewish man, and uh, so I'd been around it a lot. I just found it very appealing. Uh, it's, been a it's been a lifelong drawn to it. It, it continues. It does seem as though Mark has been trying to be someone else for most of his life. And maybe it's true that those instincts started as a reaction to his difficult childhood. The lies made him feel better about who he was and better about his family. One former girlfriend told me that Mark desperately wanted to be part of what he saw as her perfect, loving, supportive family. It makes me wonder if this is also why he's so drawn to the Jewish faith. Jews tend to have tight family units, especially strong mothers. 
mothers who adore their sons. I'm David Kushner, and this is my brother John. Growing up in Florida in the early 70s, kids were free to run around for hours outside. No plans, no cell phones, just a promise to be home before dark. When John was 11 and I was four, he biked away from our house, through the woods, to a store nearby. He was going to buy me my favorite candy, a little plastic alligator head filled with chewing gum. He pedaled off into the woods, but he never came back. Maybe have a word dog. I've been a journalist for decades, but the story I've chased the longest is about my brother John. The story of what happened to him. I think the worst thing of the worst is that you never would find the person. On one hand, I desperately wanted to find something. And on the other hand, I was absolutely terrified of finding something. And the story of what happened to our family and our town after he disappeared. A little boy simply goes from his house through some woods to go to get some candy at the 7-Eleven and never comes back. That is every parent's essential nightmare. When you realize that anything can happen, anytime, anywhere, how do you go on? I just wanted to talk with other people who've gone through it. I felt isolated and on Mars. I believe now, looking back, it was absolutely to try to find some answers. And here I am searching for some kind of answer and how the hell do you continue? This is Alligator Candy. Coming this May, a new podcast from UCP Audio and Transmitter Media. Follow and listen wherever you get your podcasts. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. So how do you come up with the details of enough to convince a very smart person? I don't know. Um, I guess, like I said, I have a very good memory and a vivid imagination, and I consume a lot of information, and I guess I'm able to do it that way. You know, I mean... You're right. It, it's it's astonishing. And I mean, like something that's happening to me right now is sort of like the panic when I realize like how, how extensive things, like I just feel it. And I'm like, what in the world would possess you to do something like this, dude? You know, like it's so absurd and shocking. And it's weird to be in that place as me and looking at it that way. But it's where I'm at. And yeah, it's terrible. It's just no other way of putting it. It wasn't right. And it, 
it was wrong, you know, in so many ways. And pretty hurtful to some of the women, all the women. Yeah, absolutely. And I, um, you know, I liked and in some cases felt love for people that I hurt. And um, it's hard to bear. It was hurtful. It was selfish. And, um, I feel badly for everybody that come in contact with it. You know, I mean, <sighs> sorry. <sighs> Tell me when you're ready. Okay, sorry, I'm ready. Okay. Even though his stories are so elaborate, Mark insists that they're spontaneous, that he doesn't write things down, but manages to keep what he's told to whom all straight in his head. I find this a bit hard to believe. I've seen how his lies grow and evolve from woman to woman. It sure seems like he's working on them, adding details, firming up accounts, making them better. So I'm just going to go through some of the things that you've told women. And, okay. Um, you were never in the military, right? No. Never. What about six, seven million dollars in the bank? Right. Um, what about it? You told people you had yeah. it. Oh, yeah. I guess to present again, to mask the embarrassment of my situation, I'm sure. What is it about California? Again, I think it was just a spontaneous thing, and then it kind of bloomed into something much bigger. Um, I guess probably because I had been there, and it was in my mind and, and part of what was going on for me. And and then, like a lot of the things that I tell, there's it's born from a kernel of experience or truth and then um, gets uh, distorted sometimes more than others. I don't, it, again, it's, it's not logical. For someone who insists he's working on bettering himself, I'm not seeing a lot of self-reflection. I know it sounds like Mark is humble and apologetic, but before I sat down with him, I told all the women he dated that I was going to be doing this. They all told me the same thing. Mark would be contrite. He'd apologize. He'd even cry. They knew this because this is how he reacted when they confronted him. They told me he'd sound convincing, and he does. I know he sounds very, very convincing, and I want to believe him. But when I think about what the women said about how he'd react to my questions, they were dead on. He says, look, I have problems. It's true. I have um, personality disorder. Um, and I lie, he can lay it out very clearly because he's an expert at convincing you that he should be given a second chance. But he will not change. This is what he does. It's, he's a serial deceiver. A number of the women told me that you either had cancer while you were with them uh -huh. or that you were 
recovering. Right. Have you ever had cancer? No. I don't know why I said it, to be honest. I think just to maybe to help explain some of why I'm not getting things done or, 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 or something like that. Could it also been an excuse so you could be with somebody else? Like, was there times when you said you were in L.A., let's say, when yeah. you were actually right. with somebody else? Or you were in the hospital right? very, very, very sick uh-huh. when you weren't, you were with somebody else. There's so many different motivations. I can't remember, but it's complicated. It's not, actually. We tracked his lies, and according to our timeline, there were multiple times when Mark told one woman that he was in L.A. getting treatment or in a hospital in Toronto or Montreal when he was actually hanging out with someone else. You know, in the distorted fucked upness that can come over me where these anxieties all work hard to tell me to do things that don't make sense like make up a story or whatever it it, it doesn't make sense at all and they did blood tests and everything and he's like it's cancer this is sarah She's the woman who didn't have a romantic relationship with Mark, but her story was the one that really broke me up. And I was absolutely devastated. Like, there was several weeks where I was just, like, everything in my life was dampened, and I was so crushed that I could lose my best friend. Well, yeah, um... Uh, I feel terrible, like, this woman, I, I care about her. I do. That's the bizarre part about it, all of this. And here's the other bizarre thing about that is I I think in my mind, I felt that it was helping her in a way. It, 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 and it's totally illogical. And you're right. It was hurtful. Ultimately, sometimes the opposite effect of what I want happens is 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 that I hope she's doing okay fuck I feel terrible about that She's a good person and very likable. I just has struggles and I was trying to be supportive in, in ways I could and it got weird, you know, and ultimately causing more uh, heartache than than help. And that's sort of the theme of everything I do a lot. Like I kind of can warp my mind into thinking I'm doing something right when I'm not. Um, This whole thing really bugs me. Mark told so many people that he had cancer. It's just mean and conniving. Like all of Mark's lies, this story grew more detailed the more he told it. And I think I may have discovered where it started. I very naively started dating um, in late 2016. It was a year after my husband passed away. Rachel lives in Montreal and met Mark online like everyone else. And like the other women, Rachel is not her real name. Rachel's husband did die of cancer, 
He was young, it was fast, and it was horrible. And if that wasn't bad enough, Rachel got slammed again when her young son was diagnosed with cancer six months after her husband died. It just became extra level, like terrible, bad soap opera plot that just like, I remember I, I sat on the ground in the hospital and I looked up at the ceiling and I just said, are you fucking kidding me? And into this emotional turmoil walks Mark. It was very hard because I was working full time. I had two very young kids. Um, I was alone to raise them. I have no family where I live. And my son, having had cancer, had follow-ups at the hospital. So working full-time and doing all of that was very challenging. Mark swooped in and promised to take care of everything. He always sold that idea that he'd be there and he could um, step in and help. You're falling in love with somebody who gets it. He gets it because Mark told Rachel that, like her, his son had also been diagnosed with cancer. Because their story is similar to yourself, because they're selling you back part of your story. Here was this person who, wow, this never happens, lived through this illness that I lived through with my son, and who, who got it. Like the timing for him to come in and to set up camp had a window. And he just, he fell into that window. And within that window of time, Mark not only listened, but he asked questions. Questions about her husband's diagnosis, his treatment, his last days, his last hours. Rachel remembers Mark was obsessed with these details. Well, how does that feel? How does that feel to hold your husband's hand as you know that he's dying? Um, And he listened because I know people are very uncomfortable with death. And he he would be very interested. And so I think it's, it's so rare to have a man say, tell me about it, tell me more, and tell me these kind of details. I, I couldn't imagine it in my head as anything other than caring. Eventually, Mark just drifted away. And three years later, by the time Mark was courting my friend Aria, he had a well-rehearsed and solid story to tell about his dead wife. I know Mark still thinks about Aria. Not long ago, she found Instagram messages from him. Mark expressed regret, embarrassment, all the things that he's saying to me now. But when he's faced with meeting someone new, feelings of being inadequate overpower his desire to be truthful. It's just too easy for him to lie. And I wonder if the lies are now so deep and so ingrained that they've become real to him. It's kind of a narcissistic way to go about things is to appease my own anxiety. I would tell a lie. Um, But the thing is, it would only be temporary because I knew it was wrong and I would um, panic about it, you know. But you kept doing it. So why did you keep doing it? Good question. I don't know. This is one of the reasons why I'm working so hard on anxiety now is because when I'm in a less anxious state, I'm more at peace with whatever it is that's going on for me. 
to that end then, if you're anxious, how do I know you're not lying to me? Right. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, get, okay. I guess you'll have to, I hope that just by virtue of the fact that I'm admitting that I'm lying, I mean, you know, I've told lies. I've t- said I've lied. I'm yep. so, yeah, I hope, I, I don't know, to be honest. It, it, it is an issue. Like if you have a, a chronic kind of like pathological habit that when, when, it, when, do you, how is someone to know when you are not being honest? It's a struggle that I've had and going to have for a long time, if not forever, because, you know, you're judged on your track record. What was your grand plan with all of these women in the stories? And the That's the thing. There is no grand plan. You know how for, for a person who's sound of mind, the, they're going to be in a fight or flight state and more realistic conditions where um, you're about to get hit by a train or, or someone's trying to steal something from you or, or you know, all these sort of over-the-top melodramatic things. For, for some reason, for me, I feel it a lot of the time. And I think short-term, that's it, immediateness. And then it becomes even more complicated when I'm in a relationship with someone in any kind of relationship because I'm scared to disappoint. It's one of my biggest fears. I want to please people and make them feel good. And and it, it all culminates in nuttiness. His exes all warned me that I might end up feeling sorry for him. And I wondered about that too. What I've learned is that Mark is able to walk this fine line between being pathetic and charming. It's a skill. And do I deserve sympathy for what I suffer from? I don't know. I don't have much sympathy for myself. He uses all the right words, says he understands what he did was wrong, and that he's working on atoning for them. He's well-versed in the language of therapy. feel terrible, was acting out in all sorts of ways because of all these patterns of behavior that I have. I wasn't able to pull out of it. You know, I'm not, you're right, I'm not able to, wasn't able to love and commit to somebody in the way that you would expect of a, of a person. So you're right. It doesn't look like a storybook love, that's for sure. It's messy and complicated and ultimately led to hurt and, and, and a break from everything. But what are your kind of hopes now? Like, where where do you want to be in a year? What do you hope that happens? Good question. Well, I I want to get more comprehensive treatment. Um, this is exhausting to 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 do it on your own, um, or mostly on my own. Um, I want to be working a regular job, of some sort. I'm really not too fussy, feeling too fussy about it. I want to live an honest and open life. I, I don't want to be stuck in this. And I don't know how that's all going to look in a year. I think this is more of a multi-year thing for me. Um, I don't, I'm just, I'm, I'm working at it, you know, I really am. I wish I could just feel badly about myself without hurting other people. And that's what I want to do. You know, my friend that fell for you really fell for you. I know. It was really, really hard to watch. I hope she's okay, too. Fuck. 
She's okay. She's a very strong person. I know. And I didn't... I think about her a lot, still, obviously. I know why. <laughs> yeah, she's incredible. But, um... Yeah, fuck. So you said you were falling in love with Aria. Yeah. But I also know that you were seeing other women at the same time. Um, the, well, I was living with someone while I, well, I was, but I, I didn't have, a. it's, um, I don't, it's hard for me to like, you know, um, talk about like, It's just, it's terrifying. Like, it's horrible. Yes, I feel terrible. And, um, sorry I hurt your friend. Mark says he's talking to me now because it's time for him to face what he's done. But I wonder if it's because he's been backed into a corner. The women have exposed him through their website. I'm doing this podcast. What choice does he have now but to come clean? How can I trust that you've stopped it? Stop lying. When, when was the last time you lied? Because we talked to somebody else a few months ago. Uh -huh. It was a guy. Okay. Who you told quite a tale to. Uh -huh. It was during COVID. Uh -huh. So you were in the shelter. Uh -huh. And you were a screenwriter still in L.A. And you were going to bring him out to L.A. Yeah, uh I'm, I'm still struggling with these these problems. That's not gone away. That's for sure. Um, but um, I feel like this is a way to help push it. You know, and I just need to confront it. And you're right. Yeah, I've told some all kinds of crazy stuff and done weird things. If I looked at your phone, would you still be on OK Cupid and? Oh, I'm definitely not on those things, no. You sure? Yeah. Yeah. I'm not doing that. That's, You're not dating anyone? No. I, um, no. No, I'm not on any dating apps or anything like that. Over those two hours, I asked Mark every question I could think of. I could see why he was attractive to those women, how convincing he can be. You certainly want to believe that he's changing, and he's charming in his bumbling way. But I don't know if I got any closer to understanding Mark or why he lies the way he does. I don't know if he's interested in changing or if he's just as rehearsed in sounding contrite as he is lying. Next time on Do You Know Mordecai. I went to bed early and uh, I always go to sleep listening to podcasts, and I was like, I just want something new. So yeah, I, I just happened across the podcast, and the second I saw the title, my antenna went up, and then I saw the name and was like, oh, oh my God, uh, I do know Mordecai. This podcast was written and produced by me, Kathleen Goldhart, and Michelle Shepard. Our executive producer is Stuart Cox. Our associate producer is Alexis Green, with assistance from Abu Raheja and Danya Ali. 
Sound design and mixing by Mitchell Stewart. Our theme song is created by Quiet Type. This is a UCP Audio podcast in collaboration with Antica Productions. Our UCP Audio team includes Jessica Grimshaw, Jennifer Sears, Josh Block, and Amy Bell. For more information, go to our website at ucpaudio.com. Audible is the destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Allow your imagination to be piqued by stories that are brought to life through captivating sound design, eerie soundscapes, and dynamic performances. As an Audible member, you'll be able to keep your heart rate up month after month because you can choose one title a month to keep from the entire catalog, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. If you're in the mood for a shocking psychological thriller, check out None of This is True by Lisa Jewell. Embrace brand new exclusive thrillers from bestselling authors who are guaranteed to keep you gripped. New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500. That's audible.com slash thrill or text thrill to 500-500.